At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Florida Matters More, the podcast for Florida Matters, WUSF Public Media's show about the issues and events that Floridians care about. I'm Robin Sussingham, host of Florida Matters. You can hear Florida Matters Tuesday evenings at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 7.30 on WUSF 89.7, streaming on WUSFnews.org. You can also hear it Mondays at 10 p.m. on Classical WSMR 89.1 and 103.9. Support for Florida Matters More comes from the National Foundation Foundation for Transplants. Right now, hundreds of Tampa residents need an organ transplant they cannot afford. Join National Foundation for Transplants, an organization providing financial relief to transplant patients for more than 35 years. Visit transplants.org to learn more. So this week on Florida Matters, we're talking about the major changes underway in the retail sector. And I have with me Ashley Gerbel-Kreitzer, the senior reporter with the Tampa Bay Business Journal. Also, Dave Now he's a marketing professor at USF's Muma College of Business. And Paul Rutledge, first vice president, retail brokerage in CBRE's Tampa office. CBRE is a global commercial real estate services and investment firm. So while I have you, first thing I want to ask you is something I've always wondered, which is why did the drug stores always build their stores right across the street from each other? Ashley? Usually just because it's a fabulous corner and one of them got there first. It usually just comes down to the retail and traffic flows. So there's only four corners. So why is one of them a CVS and why Walgreens? It seems counterintuitive to put yourself right next to your competition. I think the argument is they see themselves as providing something different. And and each person to a little – for a long time, Lowe's and Home Depot had this battle going on. And, and drugstores are no different. But, but Home Depot had a certain profile. And Lowe's came in with a model that was aggressively after women shoppers. And so 70% of the decisions made in Lowe's was made by women. And they knew this. And so the colors were different. Mm. The lighting was different. How clean and sparkly it was for that particular customer. And Walgreens, I think, and CBS would say they're in, they're in different satisfaction models. And, and I think they feel like they can compete with each other because they're really different. Wow. And we think they're we just drugstores. <laughs> you called them drugstores, right? So <laughs> I think they kind of... <laughs> Sell the same stuff, but yeah. Maybe the argument's the same with grocery stores, but it's not really true because the truth is there are loyalty lines that are very, very right. specific, right? Are there any um, retail stores that are doing better in this particular retail climate than other stores, like grocery stores doing better than clothing stores? Ashley? I think discount is a huge category that we really haven't mm-hmm. covered. And you look at Ross stores especially, they don't have much of an experience to speak of, that you are not there for the experience. Even the lighting is pretty dreadful. But but people were there for that thrill. Their experience is that thrill of the hunt, the chase, the well, discounts. And also, I think in maybe in less affluent areas, um, sometimes in some in some smaller towns, those are the only stores are the discount stores. Marshalls mm-hmm. is the only place to shop for clothes in town. One, Dave, one of the most successful retailers for the last five years has been Dollar General, and that family of of Dollar Generals they go by three or four different names, but. They have been very, very successful. Are you really getting a better deal? 
in those stores. I think to your point about small towns and rural areas, right. a lot of times when you're in an isolated area like that, that is your only choice. And it doesn't maybe you can't go to Costco and spend $30 up front and pay less per unit for toilet paper, but you can pay the $4 that day and get it and take it home from Dollar General. So it's right. a very different dynamic and a very different shopper and thought process. But those stores are doing well right oh, now. Oh, they're expanding by the thousands. Wow. Right. You mentioned about the drug stores. I see CVS and and Walgreens similar to the Burger King, McDonald's. They don't like each other. And one of them spends a lot of money doing a location study. And the other one saves a lot of money once they find out location-wise where one's going to be. The other one tries to secure real estate within a, a quarter of a mile of their competition. That's that's the and, answer to my question right there. Yeah. Yeah. One of them does all the research. Yep. Then and, the other one says, okay. And, and, and for years, McDonald's was spending millions of dollars on location and Burger King would just, within a quarter mile, sneak in, find a location and put up a, a competing store. So in Florida Matters this week, we're talking about retail and all the different changes that are going on and the threats from online shopping mm-hmm. and and how hard it is to keep customers satisfied now. Yeah. So I want to hear from each one of you. If someone wanted to open up shop, selling anything, selling widgets, um, what would be the best piece of advice that you would give them, Ashley? I think it really comes down to convenience and price and experience. I think you need to marry all of those things together, which is what's really, really difficult. And it may not be about price as a discount, but price as a perceived value. Dave? Mm, that. That's a good question. Definitely convenience and price comes into play, but what we haven't talked about is from a consumer standpoint, when they go out shopping, whether it's online or or on foot in brick and mortar, they're looking for one of two types of values. And utilitarian value in the products and services that they might want to buy or hendotic value. What was that? Hendotic which is more emotional base and it, it, it basically ties in with the, the shopping, purchasing, selection experience. How do you spell that? H-E-D-O-N-I-C. Oh, hedonic, like hedonism. Right. Oh. And it's very emotional base and it, it's not necessarily just immediate gratification that they want, but it, it deals with They want to enjoy, from a positive emotion standpoint, the experience of going through it. And in the old days, we'd look at value as benefits gained from purchasing a product and service, and what did it cost me, time-wise or monetary. But today, you have to add in these additional values. And so... The feels. Right, right. (laughs) So downtown uh, St. Pete is doing a great job mm-hmm. in creating this, what I call, hypnotic value of the experience of walking around downtown in a, in a tight area and seeing a lot of different things, being able to meet up with friends and have a, a, a craft beer or a glass of wine. You yeah. know, I wanted to follow up on what something the doctor said is that, you know, you said two things which I think are exactly right, which is convenience and price. And what that says, and this has been the case since since I got into retail many years ago, but 
satisfying the customer. And that's mm-hmm. the overall thing. When you ask customers, when they go to a store, why do they like it? Because I got what I needed. I got it the way I wanted it. And I was satisfied. I went there and I was satisfied. And they, each customer has a little different. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's cool and sometimes it's convenient, sometimes it's price. But, but that's what you have to go for. You have to satisfy your customer. So technology is changing so fast that it's the ways to satisfy customers is changing so quickly. Let me add, because my background's customer satisfaction. What many people don't understand is satisfaction tends to be viewed as the, the main driver of everything, developing loyal customers and that. But satisfaction, if you think about it, is very temporal, short term. And so for satisfaction to really work over time, there's got to be a repeat of meeting expectations because satisfaction is the outcome of meeting consumers' expectations. And what happens over time, you keep moving that expectation bar up and all of a sudden you can't satisfy customers because their expectations have grown so high it becomes too costly. Retail sounds too hard yeah. for me. <laughs> it is. It's very hard today because there's a lot of <sighs> psychological factors that stay come in radio. Play. What's your advice, Paul? I, I think you have to do something unique and do it better than anybody else. In other words, anything that you provide, you know, uh, whether it's a, a, a service product line, medical, uh, massage, exercise, do it better than someone else and do it unique. Orange Theory is so unique. I mean, it's, it's a personal trainer without having a personal trainer. Um, I think that you, you just have to have something that's got something, Anytime Fitness. It's a unique model. It's open 24 hours a day. It's a small place. It's for only certain. Mm-hmm. So you've got to find a niche, and you've got to do it better than anybody else in the niche. And, and that's the challenge with the burger world. Like there mm-hmm. are 15 new burger places, you know, mm-hmm. BurgerFi, you know, one of them we represent. And, and they're unique to a certain extent. But I, I would argue that finding that niche is really the, the, the key thing and then do it in an excellent mm-hmm. way. And so when everybody says, what's the best one? That's, they say, oh, it's like that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think you strive for because then, then you can build on that. You know, without that, you're, oh, you're one of the burger places. And that's a, tough, that's a tough position. And I think you need to hire a really good social media intern. It's big. Right? Big. Mm-hmm. I think the future, social media, no matter how you define that, the components are, are going to become more and more critical for success at the retail level. You know, I teach a consumer behavior course uh, in the College of Business, and the first thing in any consumer purchasing pattern is awareness. If they're not aware of the product or service, they might accidentally stumble across it, but from a volume standpoint, you're not going to sell enough units to, to be successful. And so you go out of business within the first three years because your costs outrun your, your revenue streams. Ashley? To your point on social media, the companies and the retailers that are doing it well are those that have figured out we've got to empower these people to just turn on a dime and think independently. And the best social media posts can't go through three layers of executives to be approved ahead of time. You look a few years ago when Oreo came back with the the lights were off at the Super Bowl and said, don't worry, you can dunk in the dark. That was somebody that was thinking very quickly that didn't have to go through a bunch of approvals to get that out there. Did they tweet that out? Yeah, they tweeted that. They went viral with that. And I think if you look Look at Chili's is is hilarious on Instagram. Look at Sears Instagram. It is very reflective of what you'll find in their stores. It's not at all engaging. So it's the people that it's the people that have figured out 
just you've just got to let your social media manager you've got to have someone you can trust with the reins because mm-hmm. that's you know I mean we've seen some horrific stories emerge at the same time whether people got the accounts mixed up or they just you know went mm-hmm. rogue with the main account but it's something that they have to be empowered to just move quickly and move with that internet conversation let's talk about the Water Street we've just got a couple minutes but let's talk about the Water Street development for a minute um, it fascinates me I think that could be transformative for downtown Tampa what do you think about it Yeah, I mean, it's been the cornerstone of my coverage in Tampa since I arrived in 2014, since before it had a name, before strategic property partners Mm -hmm. put a name on themselves. And it really is, because if you look at an aerial of downtown Tampa and the Channel District, the Channel District was basically just old fish warehouses. Mm -hmm. It's essentially a cartoon downtown. There was no gentrification that had to happen. There was really no poor people to kick out. It's just, you know, they've built these beautiful new apartment buildings and they're getting the sky high rents. But there was, you know, that hole in the donut between that and downtown. And it's insane when you look at it from an outsider's perspective because there's a waterfront that we just were ignoring. ignoring. And I think that Jeff Bennett came here from Boston and it, it hit him like a brick in the face. We, we've got to do this. So absolutely, I think filling in between the Channel District and the Central Business District is something that could have happened piecemeal. It could have happened developer by developer and been done just sort of you know, in a chaotic way. But instead, what you're seeing with Water Street is typically a developer that size is the master developer. Then you bring in a retail guy, you bring in an office guy. Water Street has all those people in-house because they want that continuous feel. They want to create a neighborhood and create something that feels unique. They don't want it to feel like your typical new construction in Florida. Think they'll be successful? I do live down there. You said you live. I in do that live area. in the Channel District. I, I rent. Full disclosure: I don't have any vested interest in this. Mm-hmm. From speaking with the real estate executives that they've hired, I don't see a reason why they wouldn't be successful. Certainly, they are not at the mar- mercy of traditional financing sources. When you're backed by Jeff Finnick and Bill Gates, money is less of an issue. They have a startup attitude, so they're all about trying new things. And as we all know, they're taking their time. So I see no reason why they won't succeed. When are we going to start seeing some changes? Well, if you've been down there, you've seen a lot of changes. They have the roadway all torn up. The USF College of Medicine is Mm -hmm. four stories at this point. So there's a lot of activity. So there's construction. Yeah, and I think people underestimate the road work. The infrastructure, that's, I mean, that's a $35 million project alone, the realignment the of the work. road work. Okay. And that's been going on since 2016. So there, there's a lot of activity down there. We will see by the end of the month the hotel break ground, which I think will be very exciting, give a lot of people more confidence in the project. What's the hotel? It is a, excuse me, it's a, it, yeah. the hotel is a JW Marriott, okay. 519 keys. It's really meant to increase the convention capacity. So if a massive convention wants to come to Tampa, they can split them up between that and the existing Marriott Waterside Convention Center is right there. The river walks right there to connect it all. So that should begin the construction by the end of the month. Thank you, Ashley. That's Ashley Gerbel-Kreitzer, senior reporter with the Tampa Bay Business Journal. We've also been speaking to Dave Ortnow, marketing professor at USF's Moomaw College of Business, and Paul Rutledge, first vice president, retail brokerage, and CBRE's Tampa office. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. Listen to Florida Matters Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 7.30 on WUSF 89.7. You can always find it online at WUSFnews.org. I'm Robin Sussingham. Come back next week for another episode of Florida Matters More. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And thanks for joining us.